0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, what we hope will be many episodes. This is uh, going to start out as a five-episode uh, mini series, and um, I am joined today uh, by with my with my, my my new partner in podcasting, partner in crypto crime. Although we're not criminals, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't use that phrase <laughs> since there's a All lot you. of shadiness. That's fine. Um, Jeff Kranz, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great, Vernon. How about you? Thanks for having uh, me.
0: Hey, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you. Um, this is a really cool project that we uh, have been kicking around. And I think maybe for the people to get some insight into this, maybe we can talk about how we, we met and the backstory there.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. Um, so, Vernon and I actually met at Bitcoin Miami, I don't know, about a month ago. Um, we were at one of the many parties that's put on by these uh, by these startups. I think it was Index Zoo, I think was the the name of the company that was throwing the party. Um, It was a great party at an outdoor uh, restaurant and bar in Miami with uh, mojitos and tacos were flowing throughout the crowd, which was awesome. (laughs) Um, And I don't even know how we ended up bumping into each other. Um, I was doing a pretty good job, a better job than I usually do at these events of kind of just going around and shaking people's hands. So maybe that was it. Um, and we just had a great conversation about like, what is going on with crypto right now? Um, and you kind of just dug in a little bit deeper than most people do about like, what's going on. And we are able to kind of pull out this information from me, uh, about stuff you didn't understand where maybe I was kind of coming in a little bit over your head and you were able to ask some great questions. Um, and then I saw this tweet from you. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that tweet and how we got here.
0: Yeah, so uh, the the tweet I think stems from like my frustration. Part of this was, and I I actually talked to you about this, Jeff, at Bitcoin. Um, I would be, and and by the way, I'm new to all of this for anybody listening. Jeff has, I, I think, more oh, close to a decade, if not a decade, of experience investing in um, in the space um, and. For me, like I'm just coming in, I'm green, although I've heard about things right like it was like these very like heady technical conversations, and I kind of got lost, right, and so I was like, man, there's a lot of this the 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 tweet is is basically like the curse of knowledge, right It talks about how you know people that are insanely brilliant and smart about a specific topic, they oftentimes um lose people very quickly because um it's just, it's, it just goes over their head, right? When you're talking about, um, uh, yeah, I, I can't even think of an example, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe in the tweet, I don't, I, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, like it's, you just lose people, right? And that's, I think that's one of the barriers to people really um, getting involved in the industry. Among yeah, other it's, things.
1: I spent some time teaching and the tough part about teaching is putting yourself back into the beginner's mindset of like, okay, I've got all this knowledge, but what if I didn't have all that knowledge? What are the building blocks I need to use to get someone to to understand where I'm coming from? Um, And I saw that tweet about the curse of knowledge and I responded something like, let's break the curse. And it's because I remembered that conversation we had where it was like, you wouldn't just like a lot of people just nod, like nod their head and like agree because they're scared of like looking like they don't understand or they don't get it. They want to look smart, but you did an awesome job of like, Hey, Like, what does that mean? Like, let's talk about that. Or, you know, how did you get that experience? Those types of questions. Where I knew when I saw that tweet, like, here's the issue: it's the curse of knowledge in Web three. Like, I thought we, as a team, would be great at kind of breaking that curse because I've got the expertise, and you're great at asking great questions. So, here we are. Let's break the curse.
0: Yeah. So, so we decided to to jump in with both feet, and I think um, really the the thing that like I, I also draw me to to Jeff is that he has uh you know a decade of experience in this industry right there's a lot of people um that are coming into this industry that may appear to be experts um in a lot of shilling going on as as they call it i guess and shilling by the way is like i and you can correct me if i'm wrong here jeff uh because again i'm still learning all this stuff it's like basically somebody coming in and and trying to hawk their product or their their they're trying to pitch right and get you on board to, to sell you something. Is Absolutely. that correct?
1: Yeah. And that's like what a lot of these uh, parties at Bitcoin Miami or any crypto conference is like, is like, I had someone literally walk up to me and say, are you a VC? And I said, no. And he kept walking. Like, he's just looking to shill. He's just looking to sell something. He's just looking to raise funds. And like a ton of people there are just trying to sell you their product or get you to buy the coin they're invested in just to make money. Um, so that's part one of this podcast. Like, I really want to avoid the bullshit and the shilling, um, number one, and also kind of bring things down a level rather than operating at this high technical level where it's hard to understand. Like, what if we can just help people go from zero to one in their understanding of blockchain and crypto and Web3 and NFTs, and then go from there? And I think that's really kind of where I'm hoping we'll hit this sweet spot uh, together. So-
0: Beautiful. And so, how did you get started um, in this crazy world of Web3 crypto, Bitcoin, right? Like, I think that's important because to be able to teach and guide, I, you know, I think it's important to have that wisdom. Um, So, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that.
1: Yeah. Great question. So, um, the year was 2012. I was kind of fresh out of college working at Groupon.com, which at the time I think was the fastest growing company of all time. We were on this crazy kind of ride towards our IPO. And uh, the guy sitting next to me, a software engineer, one day looked over at me and said, Hey, Jeff, have you ever heard about Bitcoin? And I'm like, no, what's that? He's just, and he just said something like, I think you would like it. Check it out. So he gave me the soft sell. And that night I went home and I looked into it. And I ended up buying my first Bitcoin on eBay. Um, and when I saw that coin like hit my account, and I think there was a little ding noise, a little like a, the Mario coin noise is kind of what I remember hearing. Um, I don't know. It just, it really clicked with me. Like, this is a new version of digital money uh, that we need. And that kind of set me on this, I guess, what, 10, yeah, 10 year journey now of blockchain, crypto, uh, Bitcoin, Web three, NFTs, all of that, um, and I really think the a big part of that key was that soft sell. Like we've all got that cousin next to us at Thanksgiving that's like, "You need to buy Dogecoin, and here's why, and fiat currency's bullshit, and whatever." Or you know, some people out on YouTube doing all that stuff. Um, but I think the key really is helping people understand the why and giving them the building blocks to to understand that. So um, once again. We're here to, uh, to, to help you do that, so.
0: Beautiful. And how, how much, I'm just curious, how much was that, like, what was Bitcoin at back then, right?
1: Oh, yeah, great question. I think I remember it was, I think I paid $35 on eBay That's crazy. for that first Bitcoin. And I think it was trading at like 25, but you had to pay a premium to the guy that like sold it on eBay or whatever. So, yeah. Um, and you couldn't do it much longer because PayPal eventually shut down. Like, it was a great way to like steal credit cards and then buy a Bitcoin with that credit card on eBay and they couldn't get it back. So they shut that down shortly after. Um, but yeah, those were wild times.
0: And, and I think the, the immediate thing, the immediate thought that comes to mind, if I'm on the, the outside listening in is like, Oh, you must be like living on an Island somewhere, like cruising in yachts and like a mansion or something. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, for a long time, I even kind of hesitated telling people like when I bought Bitcoin or when I got into it, because they make automatic assumptions kind of about my situation based on that. But And I think this is something we actually talked about at Bitcoin Miami. Um, like, I think within that month, Bitcoin went from 35 bucks to something like 200 bucks. And I'm, you know, 23 years old right out of college. Um And I bought a couple more Bitcoins at some point in that month. And all of a sudden I had a couple thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. And I don't know, the exchange, something happened at the exchange and everything started crashing. And the next thing I knew it was down to a hundred bucks or something like that. And I think I basically sold everything and cashed out and took my couple thousand bucks and paid rent and, you know, went out to a nice dinner or whatever. And, uh, you know, then another boom cycle happened. I got back in, but the bottom line is it's In my opinion, the easy part is buying crypto. The tough part is having the conviction to hold on through these wild ups and downs that have happened, that are happened, you know, every three years, you go through these big boom and bust cycles. Um, So yeah, I, bottom line is I wish I would have held a lot more than I did from there, from here to there, but it's a lot easier said than done. So the key is kind of that conviction and understanding the why at the, at that time, it just kind of felt like monopoly money to me. Um, and I was just kind of exploring and having fun. But now that I really understand it, that's when I kind of became a holder.
0: Awesome, And Thanks for sharing that. And I, and I think like, Brett, that's, that is a good point because at that time, right? Like, you don't like, no one knew what this thing was going to, no one knew, like no one had like, a uh, uh, one of those like magic eight balls that you used to shake back in the day and to be like, Hey, is this going to be like, uh, a trillion, multi-trillion dollar industry, right? Is Bitcoin right. gonna go to the moon? Like no one really knew that, right? So yep. and you, also you're fresh out of college, so I don't know how much money you had, but I remember when I got out of college, I was broke. So exactly. I was, I was like, yep. any money that I can get is good money, man. I just want to have a good meal, and and if that's a win for me, if I can like go out to eat with my friends and have a beer and some wings, that's winning.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, and like I said, at the time, it just felt like this fun experiment, and it was like it was just kind of taking off from the early days of bitcoin and it just felt like so much more of an experiment at the time where it was tough just to kind of hold on to it um, nowadays it's become ubiquitous where you could almost ask anyone if they've heard of bitcoin and they'll say yes which makes you feel a little le- less crazy about holding on to it and makes you see the opportunities in front for blockchain and Kind of a business case to hold on to it, but yeah. Once again, at the time, it was just kind of an experiment, and it was great to to get any any money out as possible. Looking back on it, I feel dumb. Just like you know, the guy that spent ten thousand Bitcoin on a on a pizza must feel dumb at that time. But that's what gave crypto legitimacy and brought Bitcoin into the world. Was people trusting and using it in the early days? If there's no economy, then this thing would have. Fallen flat on its face ten years ago, but you know, I I bought a T-shirt with my Bitcoin wallet on it for one full Bitcoin back during that time, and I tell people now it's my, I guess depending on the day, it's my thirty thousand dollar T-shirt that I have now, and it's kind of a joke and it's fun. Um, but that's what kind of created this economy was people wanting to trade for it, wanting to hold it, wanting to, you know, sell items for it. That's what creates an economy. So you can't look back on it with regret, um, which I
0: don't. So. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I, th- I think um, another another thing to probably hit on is you know my background for the people that are going to be listening to this podcast. Um, you bring a lot of like experience on that side. Um, around the same time, actually around about a year later, I I jumped into podcasting. Um, I come from an events background. I was actually DJing and throwing parties. Um, in 2012, and I saw this opportunity to start like, you know, building an online business. And um, I wanted to venture out into that space, that world. Um, I had a couple of friends that were doing really well for themselves, right? They didn't have, you know, full-time jobs. They're able to feed their families. They're able to, uh, you know, do some really cool stuff, travel. And I said, okay, like, what's going to allow me to, to do this, right? I knew it had to be something online. And podcasting at that time, you know, this is into um, 2012, going into thir- 2013. Their podcasting was still in its in its infancy. And when I say infancy, I guess it depends on who you're asking, because there are guys like um, Mark Marin and and uh, the guys, the Podfather. I think it's Adam Adam uh, I don't uh, uh, Adam Carolla or one of those guys. Um, they're they're they started doing this in the 90s, right? So if you go to them and you say, "Oh, 2013 was," It's probably like, you know, some a, a little bit with cryptocurrency, right? There's like people that were there before you. But uh, I guess the moral of that story is, is that I, I saw that there's an opportunity to jump into podcasting. It seemed like a very easy transition from me as being a host of parties and DJing and organizing events and people. So I started my first podcast in 2013 didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> uh, I think I, I downloaded, I, I bought a course on the, uh, off the internet. Um, I got some, I, I was like recording on like Skype or, or something like that. Skype call recorder was like the program. And I kind of fumbled my way through it. And I, I, I got like three episodes in. I interviewed a few of my, my uh, friends that were DJs at that time in the, in the dance music space. And then I said, oh, man, this this sucks. Like, I got to figure out a better way. Fast forward 2014. I start a uh, a, another podcast, but around events. And I started interviewing event professionals, um, people that were organizing retreats, um, really cool events like Awesome, Awesome Fest. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Uh, And so through that process, as I was doing it, I was like, this is a lot of work for one person, man. This is super hard. This is, and then my, my the uh, the epiphany bells start start going off in my head. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, this is a business. So then I started um, charging my friends. I said, hey, if you guys want to launch a podcast, I'll do all of the work for you on the back end. I hope you get it set up. I hope you get it published. And that became a business for me. So that was it was it, it was actually a being a, a really cool lifestyle business. Got to travel around the world spend some time in Ibiza, spend some time in, in, in Guatemala. And it was, I, I never really did it to get rich, but I did it to um, leverage the skills that I had to create something that was sustainable and that I could do online. And so th- those skills eventually morphed into me um, interviewing some amazing people, um, publishing a book, um, even doing an audio book and, and, and full circle now, right, to you know, when we were at um, um, uh, Bitcoin Miami, I think part of the uh, reason why I was able to ask you those those high-level questions and to engage you, uh, one, I wasn't trying to sell you, and two, like the experience that I had exactly. from, from interviewing people and being on the microphone. So I think both of our skills combined, right? It's It's almost like, I don't know if anyone had Power Rangers growing up, but I, I was a Power Rangers nerd. It's almost like the Megazord, right? It's like all those multiple Power Rangers, right? It's like Jeff plus Vernon equals this juggernaut that we hope will be uh, this podcast. And, and also the, my, my skill set um, in uh, Web3 is still relatively green, right? I'm a rookie, if you will. And so the reason why that's beautiful for people listening is because if you listen to a lot of the other podcasts out there, they're usually trying to take people from like, from like five to like 10, right? Or like from 10 to 30. And as Jeff mentioned earlier, our goal here is to just take you from zero to one, right? It's, it's not going to be heady. It's not going to be uh, super technical. Like there's podcasts out there if that's what you want. This is not the podcast if that's what you want. And so I think that's just something that um, is 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 valuable for people that are trying to really understand this because there's a lot of people out there that are scamming, there's a lot of people that are shilling, and, and and it's it's really like the wild wild west as far as I can see. Jeff, you can add you know your your two cents, but I I just I feel like there's just so much and it's changing daily, right? Like I scroll through my feed and I'm just overwhelmed by the amount of stuff. It's like Luna this and you know, uh, Bitcoin's doing this and we're in a bear market. Is it a bear? Is it a bull? And I'm like, I don't even know what any of this stuff means. And it's overwhelming. (laughs) It's so easy to just check out. So I think that's valuable to note.
1: Yeah. Just to echo what you said, basically, you know, what makes a great podcast host or a great journalist is someone that can ask great questions and kind of peel back the onion. Um, I think you absolutely check that box. And the other piece is, you know, as someone that's new to web three, you can, Kind of go along the journey and ask the questions that the listeners are hoping you would ask, um, and maybe are thinking themselves. So uh, that's the goal here, and uh, I uh, I'm excited excited to go down that journey. So.
0: And yeah. speaking and speaking of questions, like why should people be paying attention to Web three right now? I mean, I know that yeah. it's it's all around us, right? It's it's almost becoming synonymous with Bitcoin. Um, you hear the, you know, metaverse, right. That was a big thing last year with Facebook or, or it happened this year. I'm not exactly sure exactly when, but Facebook basically rebranded itself as meta. And there's this whole thing around like the metaverse and people are talking about that. And it's like, what the hell is the metaverse? Like, is this some alternative universe, like ready player one that we're going to live in? Why should people be yeah. paying attention to this?
1: Yeah. So when I think of Web3 and what is Web3, if I had to sum it up in one word, I think of it as control. So who controls the platform? Who controls Web3? And that's the users. And I think the best way to kind of explain that or compare and contrast that is to go look back at Web2. Um, so Web2 is a very centralized model. You know, you've got kind of the couple of big players, Facebook, Google, Amazon, you know, but Microsoft and Apple to a lesser degree. Um, kind of controlling a huge lion's share of web two and the internet traffic that's happening there. Um, and in web three, the goal is to kind of flip that model. And rather than having all of that power centralized with these big institutions and controlled by these big institutions, the idea is to flip it on its head and give that control to the users. So the users can control those platforms. Um, I think a, a good example, something that actually happened to me yesterday was, um, I met someone over the weekend and I was talking to them about crypto and I told them, you know, they could follow me on Twitter to see kind of more of the stuff I'm talking about in web three. And they said, okay, what's your handle? And I said, it's, you know, Jay Krantz, which is my first letter of my name and my last name. And they said, okay, I'll find you. And then I got a text from them yesterday that said, I'm looking for you on Twitter. I'm typing in Jay Krantz and nothing's coming up. And so I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I go into Twitter and I type in my own name. And there's just zero results found for Jay Krantz. I've been on Twitter for, I think, 13 years. I've got a couple thousand followers and I'm nowhere to be found. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I posted up on Twitter, said I'm missing from Twitter. And someone went to some tool and searched my name and it said, I've been basically shadow banned, which means I'm still on the site, but my account can't be found for whatever reason. And where I'm going with this is that's like a, a great example of web two and the power that these institutions have to just, at some point, you know, for whatever reason, the algorithm determined or someone at Twitter determined that like my account shouldn't be boosted or shown on Twitter anymore. And they clicked some button that said, you know, kind of ghost ban this person. Um, and I didn't know that happened. My followers don't know that happened. No one know that happened until, you know, someone kind of just tried to find me one day and that happened. So um, that's, what's wrong with web two, go ahead.
0: So, so shadow ban, when you say shadow ban, that yeah. means you're, you're still able to use the platform, but somebody can't like find you if they want to like search for your content.
1: Right, exactly. So like, if you search mine, first off, most importantly, my handle under people, I don't show up like jcrantz456 shows up instead of Kranz and jcrantz22 or whatever, all those versions of that have like a couple, like hundred followers or whatever. Um, and then number two is if you search for like exact words that I tweeted, like you could search my exact tweet in Twitter and it just won't show up. Um, so that's, that's what a shadow ban means. And once again, the, pop, the problem with that is sent, the centralization that someone can control that. Uh, I don't have a problem with, you know, moderation in general, there should definitely be moderation, but I think that should once again, go moving over to Web3, be in control and visible to the users. So if the users as a group decide that my content is objectionable or whatever it might be, and they downvote me and I get moderated that way, like that's the way that this should work. It shouldn't be up to some centralized institution to do that, so.
0: Yeah, and I can see like the implications of that play out in like other domains, Um, like like outside of social media. Absolutely.
1: yeah, I can uh, talk about that a little bit. So that's how Bitcoin was born, right? Is the US dollar is centrally controlled um, by the US government and the Federal Reserve and the, uh, and the Treasury Department. They decide, you know, how much money do we want to print? Um, how does that get distributed? And, you know, right now we're seeing kind of massive inflation happening right now. Our dollar is worth less than ever. And that was controlled once again by a centralized institution, kind of a web two model almost. Um, And Bitcoin, the whole idea behind Bitcoin was to put that control into the power of, give that power to the users. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. That rule has been set. If the users of Bitcoin kind of all come together and decide, hey, maybe there should be 22 million Bitcoin, that's a power that's within within their hands um and i just think that's so important to to have those rules set up forth and then allow the people to decide how that maybe that should change so
0: you know one thing that comes to mind jeff is that if these key players are almost like the gatekeepers of the web 2 world what's stopping them from becoming the gatekeepers of the web web 3 world right because if they have all of the power power just doesn't like change hands like that very easily. Right. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, right. And and I've always heard that like the top 1% of the wealth is the top percent, 1% controls all of the wealth in the world or something like that. So in my head, I'm going, yeah, like these guys are not just going to give up to the kingdom, to the key, to the, the keys to the kingdom that easy. I mean, they're not stupid. They see what's going on. So what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, So, you know, Bitcoin kind of started initially as this like cypherpunk movement, you know, by the people. And now more and more as crypto and blockchain and Web3 evolves, we're seeing more and more, you know, VC money come in and, you know, big institutions come in and start grabbing some of this power. Um, And it's interesting, you know, the idea behind Facebook has renamed their company Meta for the metaverse. Um, and to me, what the idea of the metaverse is, is this kind of universe of many different metaverses that all kind of interact with each other. You might go to you know, Jeff Krantz's land in this one metaverse and Vernon's land in this other metaverse, but we can kind of hop between all of them and they're all kind of in this decentralized universe. Um, but when Facebook renamed their company company Meta, Um, you know, what I see what they're going for is they want to be the metaverse. They don't want to be part of the metaverse. They want to control that whole thing. And that's, you know, to me, the antithesis of web three, they want this centralized control, you know, over that whole, over that whole world. Um, and the same thing with some of these VCs that are making big investments in a lot of the top crypto and web three projects, they are grabbing up more and more control in these, um, So, I mean, how do we fight against that? Some projects have done a good job of, you know, you've seen the airdrop model. I think it's a good way to to fight against centralization.
0: Explain what that is, an airdrop, because people may not know what that means.
1: Yeah. So an airdrop is essentially a way to reward your users and give your users control over your protocol or your product, your Web3 application, by granting them for free voting tokens for your project and i don't want to go too far into what that means but the idea is basically you are a user of our product we want the users to be in control of our product so everyone that's used our product to date we're going to drop some tokens in your account that you could either sell or use to vote on the future direction of our product which i think is really kind of one of the core tenets of web3 is giving the users a direct way to vote and control um, how the application works.
0: As opposed to how it is now. Exactly. Which is like yeah. the, the stakeholders, right? Like the board of directors. The shareholders. The shareholders, yeah. So
1: exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's somewhat similar in that um, if you've purchased shares in a company, then you are able to vote on the board of directors and those board of directors can make the decisions on how the company should run, most, most maybe most importantly, who the CEO of the company is. Um, but if you look at the, you know, who owns large stakes in most corporations, it, it kind of boils down to a couple really big financial institutions, um, where you see centralization there. Also, you know, if you own hundred shares of Twitter, um, first off you had to purchase those. You may not be a user of Twitter. Um, and your say in terms of, you know, who's going to be on the board of directors, maybe you get once a year or something to, to change that. So, um, and I think really the big contrast between the two is in an airdrop, you're for free giving tokens to the users versus in kind of the stock web two world, you have to go, the only way you can get a seat at the table, so to speak, is to go out and purchase those shares. And you may or may not be a user of that product. And so I guess taking it a step further, what's the issue with that? Why does that matter? So for me, why that matters is um, you want to align or you should want to align incentives of the users and the platform. So what do I mean by that? So, for example, um, for Facebook, the, the goals of Facebook, the corporation and the goals for a user of Facebook, in my opinion, have kind of wildly diverged. Right? The goal of Facebook is to make as much money off of their users as possible without them you know, kind of rage quitting the site, which some have. Um, and the goal of a user of Facebook is what? To connect with their friends and see what's going on and you know, whatever it might be. You know, use the site in a social media context. Um, we've seen examples, you know, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago where Facebook literally said, okay, let's see what happens if we give people bad news all day. Like we just filter their newsfeed for bad stuff and let's see what their ad click through, what happens to their ad click through and purchase rate. And it went like way up because like, I guess people that are upset are looking to, you know, get an endorphin rush by purchasing something on the internet or whatever. But that's like a perfect example of a divergence of the goals of the corporation and the goals of the user. But if the users are the owners of the product and control the product and the platform, then the incentives are aligned for us to travel in the same direction, whatever whichever direction that might be. And so that's what gets me really excited about Web three.
0: Yeah, I can I can see the power in that, and the powers the power in the users having a say, control, and really I th- I think it also probably makes for a better product, right? Because you're you're directly tied into. I, n- I remember when I worked for uh, a tech startup like product would be so separated from like the customer. There's like this, this, this huge gap, right? And it's like, we're going to make what we think you want. And then we're going to sell it to you versus like, it would be so much smarter if you just like collaborated.
1: Yeah. We are the it's users. We're putting up a, a proposal to add this feature because we think this feature needs to exist. And because we control what we want to do with the product then it passes and we can make that happen Um, versus like you said, some sort of wonky, this group isn't talking to this group or yeah, the users want this, but actually this makes us more money. So let's do this type of thing.
0: Got it. Got it. So if somebody's listening to this podcast, Jeff, if this is their first episode, what are what would you recommend them to do to kind of like almost start to indoctrinate themselves into the web three ecosystem? Um, in addition to following us on social media and subscribing to the podcast?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big proponent of become a user, like try it out. That's really what, when someone asks what I am at like a crypto event, I always say I'm a user. Like I just like to try everything. And I think that's for me the best way to learn. And I'm hoping kind of a way that we can structure this podcast um, is by giving people some things to try out in kind of a safe place. Um, So, yeah, I mean, getting a wallet set up, funding that wallet with a little bit of money and trying out a decentralized application and then, you know, maybe going and voting on a proposal, something like that. Like that's something we can do in a, in a later episode is maybe walk through that, or I could do a one-off video. Um, But I really don't think it clicks until you start using it. Um, A lot of people think that they hold crypto or they're in web three. And then I ask them, you know, like how, how so? what have you done? And they'll say, oh, I, you know, whatever. I hold Ethereum on Robinhood. Like I bought Ethereum on a Robinhood, which um, we can go into why a little bit later, but like you aren't even really a crypto investor. If you just hold or a crypto holder, maybe is a better word for it. If you just hold Ethereum in your Robinhood account, you don't have any control over those coins. You don't have control over anything. Um, so I think going through that exercise of actually onboarding people. On to web three will be eye opening for a lot of people.
0: Beautiful. Um well, that's gonna be it for time, everyone. I, I thank you guys for for checking out this episode. Again, this is gonna be one of of uh, there's gonna be four more episodes in this series. and hopefully more, if you guys like it, we'll continue to do it. Um, and if you guys are interested in in following us and and learning more, uh, Jeff's super active. He does a great job engaging. Um, on, on Twitter, uh, you probably may have to get his link to his direct link. I'm <laughs> yeah, exactly. not going to find him in search. And, um, I'm at Vernon Foster. I don't think I'm shadow banned yet. Hopefully we'll see how that goes. And, uh, yeah, man, Jeff, uh, anything else you have to, to add on that?
1: Yeah, you could find, you can type me in directly twitter.com slash J Krantz, K R A N T Z. Um, and maybe if enough of you follow me, I'll be unshadow banned. So that'd be great.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll will get uh we'll get the people kind of making some noise on there. Exactly. Unshadow right.
1: right. Perfect. Well thanks, Vernon.
0: Thanks, Jeff. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you guys in the next episode.